Welcome back to The Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, joined here by our host and stars of this show, Mark Wiley and Will George. This is A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will, episode 477 on our network. This is uh, this is the third show of a quadruple header Thursday, so you guys are hitting in the three-hole today. Traditional three-hole, 300 hitters, 30 dingers, 100 RBIs, very little strikeout. So you're the old-school third hole for us today. Um, before we bring on our great guest, uh, tr- excited about this. We've got a packed show today. Just want to bring our, uh, our sponsors to the forefront. want to thank Millions uh, for our marketing partner. You can go on Millions and two options. Book Me will be for the advertisers. Go on there and put a proposal in. We will get back to you same day. And also to get our host for speaking engagements in person or on video. Your choice. It's on the Book Me option. On the Shop option, you can buy our merchandise, hoodies, T-shirts, hats, uh, or you can you can uh, bring our hosts for an experience. That doesn't mean they get to come to your house. You get to ask them a question about their baseball expertise. They'll get back to you within 48 hours by email video, and then you'll get to know our hosts a little bit more intimately than just our shows today. That's for us. Uh, that's our appreciation for you guys supporting us. Also, Jaw Bats, the the latest certified bat in Major League Baseball. RVG at checkout will get you a discount on your new Maple Bat. Uh, my son Tanner's using his M110 model, both lefty and righty. And then Jeff Fry uh, used his down in fantasy camp for the Red Sox, hit a pull side double. So as he said, it's got to work. The, the kinetic arm uh, could could be a patented solution to helping the rash of arm injuries. Again, uh, both Tanner and Jeff are using theirs. They love it. Tends to offload stress exter- externally, prevents arm lag. It's a multi-joint dynamic stabilizer, and it aids in deceleration. Uh, with kinetic arm, use RVG DAG at checkout. I'll get you a discount on a kinetic arm. Also want to thank one-on-one college pathway programs for helping with our production costs. They've helped over 700 student athletes in the last four years to the tune of $540 million in scholarships. So their Twitter handle will be in our show notes. Make sure you support them. And then Monet hair products. I know I saw Will George said he got a haircut today. So um, I saw that uh, that going on in our text message dialogue. So Monet self-care hair care. I've been using it for 10 days now at 50 years old. My kids say it looked, my hair looks cooler. And it smells better. I don't know how bad it smelled before, but um, but apparently it's cured my hat head. So that's all the validation I need at 50. As long as my wife likes it and the kids like it, I'm good to go. And with that, uh, Mark Wiley, Will George, welcome back to your show. Great to be here. Guys. Great to be back. We got a great guest today. Um, has been a friend since our days in the, the Indians, Cleveland Indians, or uh, I will say Indians just because that's when I was there and that's when Mark was there. Um it's Mark Wiedemeyer. Um, he's been in the game over 40 years. Uh, he has a lot of experience, not only professionally, but also amateur ball. Um, as a baseball man, he's been a scout, an advanced scout, coach, manager, coordinator, facility director, independent league coach. And now he's a, a uh, manager of a college summer league team in Bismarck, the Bismarck Larks in Northwest League. Um Mark speaks both Spanish and Korean, um, which definitely has helped him throughout his career. Uh, and uh, educationally, uh, Mark went to Union uh, University in Jackson, Tennessee, where he was a two-year MVP and All-West Tennessee All-Star. 
uh, also went to Ohio State and got his master's degree there. Um, Mark's been with nine of the 30 major league teams, Washington, Cincinnati, Arizona, the Dodgers, Chicago White Sox, Yankees, Kansas City, Cleveland, and California Angels at the time, now now the Los Angeles Angels. Um, while doing very, the various jobs in baseball that I mentioned earlier, uh, he's been in Korea, Mexico, Dominican Republic, Bahamas, Venezuela, even Japan. Uh, his amateur uh, career uh, encompassed uh, an assistant, being an assistant coach at Ohio State. He was uh, at the uh, Game On Performance Center in North Carolina. Uh, he was a coach for the Team USA Baseball 18 and under in Cary, North Carolina. Uh, he was assistant uh, director of athletics at UNC Char- uh, Asheville, um, head coach at Montcrete Anderson College in North Carolina, and uh, he's also a member of American Baseball Coaches Association. Um, uh, just a side note, you know, some of his amateur scouting reports are on file in the Baseball Hall of Fame in the Professional Baseball Scouts Collection in Cooperstown, New York. We'll talk a little bit about that on the show. He's a member of the Major League uh, Baseball Players Alumni. Uh, He's a Professional Baseball Scouts Foundation member, an Association of Professional Ball Players of America, and America Baseball Coaches Association. Uh, His wife, Terry Crow, is an author, podcaster, former Marine Corps officer, and was a professor at Eckert uh, College. Um, and last but not least, he's a member of the Union University Sports Hall of Fame. I want to welcome you, Mark. It's so excited to have you on. Man, we've been friends for a long time, and I know Will and I have a lot of stories and connections with you. Well, I appreciate it. Coyote, that's your nickname. We had that uh Established that back in Venezuela and scouting the Winter League one year. One thing I want to get straight for you, go any further. Uh, my wife, being a former Marine, would probably shoot me if we don't get her first name right. It's Tracy, not Terry. Okay. Did I say Terry? Did I say Terry? Yeah, you did. So let me look okay at my on. notes. We're, we're I okay had Tracy now. I had Tracy on my notes too. How the heck can I do that? <laughs> anyway, oh, I'm sorry, Tracy. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tracy. I don't speak English very well. Well, you know, two things. Uh, when I got married, you know, she said, hey, listen, uh, you can either be right or you can be happy. You choose. So uh, I've kind of used that as my motto. You know what I mean? But uh, anyway, yeah, it's great to be on the show. You guys really doing good work on this. And uh, it's great to reminisce. And, you know, not only about days gone by, but what's going on currently in the game should be a lot of fun. Well, I think, Dave, I think you've got a, a we'll start you off with your question. Yeah, it'll be good. And, and this is from our, so before we do, before we have guests on, we've had over 400 guests uh, throughout the almost two years now. And uh, I always throw it out to them. Hey, we have a guest on. Tell me what you know about them. And uh, I mean, to a T, every one of our guests that we've had on knew something about Weedy. And, and I don't know if I've ever had that before. And, uh, but the, the question that, the thing that popped up the most to me, and I, and I, I kind of played off of Mark and Will's questions. They're, they're two of the most prepared guys I've ever met in life and in the game. Um, but I thought this question was appropriate. You've been identified by, I mean, some of the top people in baseball as a rare breed. And I guess it's two questions in one. 
they said it's very rare to find a guy that can evaluate and also develop um, at the highest level. I guess the two questions I have, how rare is it and, and why is it so rare? Well, I mean, first of all, that's a tremendous compliment, you know, and um, I think the, the game has probably changed where, you know, it's become more um, compartmentalized where certain guys do certain things. There's not much overlap anymore. I mean, back in the day when I first was breaking in, this was after I broke in actually with the Kansas City Royals, but once I went to work for the then California Angels, I mean, I was an area scout, but I also went out in the summertime and coached or managed one of our short season baseball teams. Now, uh, back in the day, I was very fortunate to start under a great scouting director, in my opinion, Larry Himes and my East Coast supervisor, Al Goldis, another wonderful baseball guy. But they really believed in the 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 deal where scouting and, and player development should not be at odds. They should be partners. Uh, you know, over the years, and Mark Wiley can tell you this, Will can tell you, there's always been a lot of jealousy between the two. Uh, you know, I signed this guy manager said, you know, well, we don't like him. I mean, it's, there's been some infighting, obviously. Those guys were of the ilk that every minor league manager should spend about a month riding in the same car with an area scout to learn about that part of the job. And every area scout should spend a couple of weeks, if not a month with one of the short season or rookie league teams to learn about that part of the job. And, and, and you know, I was just really lucky to, to start out with a great group, I mean, you know, when Kansas, when Howie Bedell hired me to work for the Kansas City Royals, I mean, are you kidding me? Listen to the staff. Joe Sparks was our AAA manager. Gene Lamont was our AA manager. Rick Matthews was in Fort Myers. Tommy Jones. All these guys ended up either coaching or managing or leading some department in the big leagues. All right. Joe Jones, who I started out with in rookie ball. Uh, and Joe Jones is probably one of the best baseball coaches I've ever been a, around in, in, in my in my career. I mean, this guy was a tremendous instructor at the rookie ball level. I mean, Rich Doobie, pitching coach, um, you know, Mo Hill, hitting guy, uh, you know, Bill Fisher, roving pitching coach, one of the brilliant minds. So, you know, to, to have a start like that and then to get into the scouting gig and to be around some of the best in the game in the southeast when I first started as an area scout and also to work on the field with the California angels, with the likes of Bruce Hines, Joe Coleman, Bob clear, Doug Rader, Joe Madden, Maca Olivares. I mean, you know, you can just go on and on and on. So I think I was smart enough having come out of a junior college after I started at Ohio state, I coached at a Juco and I managed in Waynesboro in the Valley league. It's funny because I had a couple of players there, Gary Jones from the university of Arkansas that, you know, has been a coach in the big leagues. I think he still is. Um, I had David Van Horn, my second baseman. He's been the coach at Arkansas now, probably making over a million plus for years, you know. But uh, how he saw me there, I had his son play for me. He liked what I offered. He brought me to the to the Royals. And I think I was smart enough to keep my mouth shut and try to learn as much as I could from these guys, you know from Bill Fisher saying, you got to be the first in the clubhouse at five o'clock, make the coffee for us, Weedy. You don't have a big league bubble gum card. This is the only way you can gain respect. You know, you got to stay in the dirt. You got to throw BP, hit fungos. Once we see the work ethic, you'll learn the knowledge. Just keep your mouth shut, be around us. And 
I kind of took that same attitude when I first started as an area scout. You know, I started listening to these veteran guys and the knowledge that they imparted was, and, and believe me, as we well know, I mean, this is back in the early 80s. I mean, this is before computers. I mean, we send three-page triplicate reports handwritten. You know, I spent I, you know, 75,000 miles on my car my first year scouting Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, and actually part of Puerto Rico. I mean, uh, the, the tremendous background I got early on uh, from the grassroots up, and I think that enabled me uh, I mean, this has been a long answer to question, but I think that enabled me to use what I gained both from the evaluation standpoint and from the coaching standpoint, you know? I mean, I think one of the biggest lessons I learned early on was, you know, to get the young players. And even when I got to the big leagues with Washington, you know, you have to show that you really care about them as people before you expect them to listen to what you have to say uh, as far as scouting or, or, or coaching. And uh, I just learned that along the way from watching the veteran people that I was, you know, God gave me the opportunity to be around. That's the bottom line. You know, I learned from the elders, you know, they passed down their knowledge and, you know, I was around a good bunch of people that weren't afraid to share what they knew. And I, you know, kept pretty good notes. <laughs> it's about the best you, answer. I can you know, me. it's, it's, it's funny that, that, you know, I remember Tom Giordano who ran the, scouting and and uh player development with the orioles and then uh he had a big part with the indians and you know he used to when i managed in the minor leagues i remember him saying okay there's one thing i, I want you to pref out all the players in the league uh then i want to separate them into pitchers and position players and he said then i want you to give me staff members that you meet that you have respect for that you think would be really good managers or coaches in our organization. And uh, I thought that was really a cool thing because, you know, that's how you find guys like you, you know, people recommend you and they say, yeah, this guy, I saw him teaching this guy and he really knows what he's doing. You know, he's really good communicator. And uh, you know, and that's how you build an organization, not only with good players, but good staff members. Well, I can tell you, Mark, you know, I came out of Ohio State under Dick Finn, Joe Carbone. Joe Carbone ended up coaching at Ohio University for years, was involved in USA Baseball. Mike Gasky, UNC Greensboro, was the president of USA Baseball. Great people, great teachers. Um, you know, managing in Waynesboro in the Valley League, you know, I'm thinking I'm pretty cool. Won a pennant the second year there. And I tell you what, when I went to work for Kansas City, <laughs> and I started looking at the professional way of developing players, I realized how much I really didn't know about what I was doing. And that's when I became the real student of the professional way of developing. And, you know, early on, Howie Bedell, they, Bill Fisher, these guys told me, listen, you know, you don't overcoach here. The first thing you do is you use your eyes and your ears. You find out about these players. You watch what they can do. Until you and 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 then when they come to you when they want your opinion when they want your help they will but uh, that was a big key and uh, you know and honestly then when I started scouting um, you know it's kind of funny you know up to that point I'm thinking scouts you know I, I but I can remember guys geez you know uh, Cal Ermer former manager of Minnesota Twins he was a scout in the Southeast. Um, there was a lot of big name guys that were basically area scouts that had had tremendous backgrounds in baseball. And, 
you know, I would hear when I was a field guy, some of the staff would, uh, you know, say something negative about a player and this and that and the other. Well, when I started driving down those back roads trying to find them, I'm telling you what, I never said another negative word about a guy because some scout saw something positive and that's why he was signed. And until you find out what he can do well, don't ever say anything about what they can't do. I learned that quickly because the guys that put their nuts on the line, you know, pounding a table and saying, I want this guy in the draft. Um, there was a reason that they had, uh, you know, selected that young man. And, you know, like you said, nowadays, I mean, Hey, listen, Bill DeJoy said it best. He told me one time, God rest his soul. He said, you can't find character on a keyboard. And I tell you what, you can't. The only way you can do it is by getting to know these young guys. I mean, hell is an area scout. Not only did I have four States plus Puerto Rico, I had, you know, the Florida Instruction League in the fall. I had all the Southern League teams in the summer. I had four big league teams to cover. And somewhere along the line, along with the Dominican Winter League, I ran like 10 tryout camps in, in, in 13 days in the summer trying to find players because I thought it was a good way to break down the fence. You know, you get it's not just the guy behind the fence choosing the talent. Now you're out there working with these guys. And it really helped when you got to identify the younger guys that eventually you might be in a house trying to sign them at one, at one point, it was the, you know, the interaction. I mean, it was the communication, the, the human interaction that came into play. And, uh, I'll never forget. I'm, uh, I'm Birmingham. I think it was Rickwood field back in the day, scouting in the Southern league one night and, uh, Freddie Goodman, a great scout, this guy, you know, you could, I tell you what, I'm going to write a book someday. Cause some of these characters, I mean, Freddie was a former private investigator, you know, George Bradley who hired me with the angels and then the Yankees was, you know, a, a railroad detective. I mean, some of the background of these guys that ended up being great evaluators of talent was amazing. But Freddie said, uh, you know, he's sitting next to me and, you know, as you're watching the game, he said, where are you staying tonight? We, you know, he was talking about what hotel. And I said, Tampa. He said, what the hell, what are you talking about? I said, yeah, I'm driving to Tampa. I got a trout camp tomorrow morning about 11 o'clock. So I was driving all night from Birmingham, Alabama to Tampa, Florida, just to run a trout camp. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's the way you kind of learn about not only who you are, but, you know, what the game's all about, in my opinion. You know, uh, Weedy, you brought up so many things, you know, just and so many memories going through my mind. I started on the field for six years and then got into scouting and was working for the Marlins when they first started. And we had a really good group. And, you know, we had people in the room that we were allowed to agree to disagree, which doesn't happen anymore. Um, And, you know, people were passionate. And I remember got really heated one day and, you know, myself and Dick Egan, uh, who had spent a lot of time on the field and, you know, both of us spoke very openly, just, hey, guys, neither thing's easy. You know, both of us have done both. Um, you know, baseball, you know, the old saying, if we hit 300, we're doing really well as a hitter. If we hit 300 in scouting and player development, we're doing really well. You know, it is not it is not easy. Like you said, driving for miles. You go see a kid, he's the big fish in the small pond, He dominates and then he gets in the big ocean and he's scared to death and that happens all the time you know we just don't know uh you know we do the best we can at predicting what they're going to be but sometimes it doesn't work um, you know, hey let me tell you you mentioned a guy dickie this is one of the greatest minds i've ever been around let me tell you when i first met dickie and i was coaching junior college at montreat anderson in, in uh, montreat north carolina outside Asheville. 
he was, uh, I think, the national cross-checker for the scouting bureau at the time. Yep. And had the neatest thing I'd ever seen up to that point on his belt. He had his uh, his dip, his skull can carrier on his. And I'm like, this has got to be the greatest guy in the world. Cowboy boots, dip can. So I start talking to this guy. And, God, later on, you know, I can remember being in the rookie league with Joe Jones. And we would get reports, obviously, on our players, not only from the Royal Scouts, but from the Bureau. And I used to read Egan's reports. And they were just they were tremendous. I mean, it was just like an education reading how he evaluated players. But, you know, as fate would have it, I mean, I was with Dick Egan. I never worked with him necessarily, but for God's sake, you know, I mean, in the big leagues as an advanced scout, I used to see him all the time when he was doing his major league coverage. I mean, guys like that is what I'm talking about. Yeah. These are the kind of people that, you know, you just watch them. You watch the work ethic and the and the ability to focus and concentrate. and. I mean, it's a school that you go to. It has nothing to do with a computer or any kind of algorithm or any kind of data. You, you, you know, it's called life. It's experience. And yeah. I'll never forget, well, you know, some of the gentlemen that uh, took me under their wing as an area scout, they said, boy, it's going to take you five years just to learn this territory. And they were right. I mean, to get the network of high school and college coaches and to run tryout camps. And I mean, at that point, you know, hell. Yeah, we were lucky, I think, in 80, what was it, six, to go to the playoffs. And Larry Himes took us all to Anaheim to watch the games against the Red Sox. And But, I mean, when you're an area guy, I mean, you're so far away from the big leagues. It's all yeah. about what you do. It's about the players you're trying to sign, you know. I mean, I'd get my major league coverage to go to Atlanta and see the Braves. And I'm like, look at the – these are the big cathedrals, man. This is unbelievable. But that's not what I did then. You know, it didn't have a great impact on me. I mean, people have often asked me, and you might do it during this segment, you know, what was your best job? It's the best job. The best job that I've ever had is the one I'm doing, <laughs> right? I never had a bad job in baseball. And right now I'm getting a chance to go up <laughs> work with a bunch of college kids in, uh, in the Northwoods League, which I think is the best college league going in, in Bismarck, North Dakota. And I'm excited. I'm 69 years old. This is the best job I ever had. Are you kidding me? This is wonderful. I mean, I'm so grateful to be able to stay in the game and do what I love. Grateful. You know, you made a comment. Yeah, that's right. You got to love what you're doing, regardless it is. And all my best baseball friends, that's they think the same way you do, that any job's a great job. Um, you know, you know, and it's, it's funny, funny, Mark, because I really the more I the more I got to work, right? The more things that I that I saw and observed is I kind of had two goals early on. I said, you know what? I want to be a field coordinator in the minor leagues. And then from that big league coverage, I saw advanced scouts and I said, damn, I think I could barely, I'd like to do that someday, you know, not like, not right. like tomorrow, but someday. Right. And sure right. enough with the Yankees, I got to be a field coordinator and I got to be an advanced scout for 20 years. I never dreamed of getting to be a big league coach, but I'll tell you this, the more advanced scouting I did everywhere I went from Jim Tracy, Davey Johnson, it got me started with the Dodgers. I mean, Terry Bevington prior to that with the White Sox, Doug Rader, I mean, I helped coordinate big league camp everywhere I went for Kirk Gibson, you know, uh, with the Diamondbacks, with Bob Schaefer, with the Dodgers. And the more I did that and got to coach during spring training before I started my advanced scouting, I started thinking, you know what? I can coach here, too, you know. And it was like, okay, 
I don't know if I ever get a chance, but I I can do it because I do it. I'm doing it in spring training. And sure enough, Matt gave me that opportunity and spent two wonderful years with him. But uh, God, I could give you stories, you know, right. and I mean, I got to give you, you know, tell me to shut up, but I got to give you a story about Gibby, right? So, you know, I'm the field coordinator, major league spring training. And, you know, we got this very, I mean, to me, it was, it was, uh, it, it was a difficult system with the computer where, in the clubhouse, in the food room, we had these electronic scoreboard kind of things that, number one, you could post a line up there, you know, you could post a daily work schedule. And it was my job to put together all this, you know, on the computer, a different program I'd never known. I mean, you know, I would be there till 10 o'clock at night and I'm getting back up at 3.30, getting to work at five in the morning, right? So anyway, Gibby was so anal and I, you know, believe me, I am too. He would like to be two, three days ahead with a schedule. And of course that was ludicrous because by the second day, I mean, we're already changing things, but it was his way of doing it. Right. So this was about halfway through camp and I'm telling you, man, I'm going on fumes, you know, and uh, he used to love to bust my balls. And, you know, there was the manager's office then we had this huge conference room for coaches. Then we had our coaches locker room and you talk about a great group. I mean, Alan Trammell, Don Baylor, uh, you know, Charles Nagy, I can go on to, you know, our staff was unbelievable, but, but, you know, Gibby's barking at me one day, you know, like, God damn it. We excuse my language. You know, what the F I was going with this. And I'd kind of had it. So I snapped and I started screaming back at him, you know, and uh, the other guys are looking at me like, what are you out of your mind? And, and I'm thinking, okay, that might be it for me, you know? So we go out on the field, nothing said. He's watching me and Matt do our infield work. I mean, nothing said. And I'm thinking, okay, when's it going to unload on me? This is, this is Kirk Gibson, right? End of the day, I'm still at my computer in the coach's room doing the schedules and everybody's gone. Now it's seven o'clock at night and here he comes and he walks in behind me. I got my back to him and I'm thinking, hi, right, here it is. You know what he said? He said, hey, man, I got feelings, too, you know. <laughs> I got feelings, too, you know, right? Oh, my God. Huh? <laughs> I can, it, uh, beautiful. I mean, just beautiful. Yeah. And you talk about another guy. You talk, you talk about, a, you know, a genius. I mean, this guy flew airplanes. I mean, I don't know why he tried to do it one time in Lakeland when he was a player, but he went straight up, and I think he's maybe – in a small by whatever kind of plane he was flying at the time. It was one of the highest altitudes ever reached. Now, why you, I don't have any idea, but you know, this guy would go to uh, positive thinking seminars in Europe. I mean, this guy was uh, a Zen time, a, a type of smart guy. I, I just love being around him. He was great. It's awesome. You know, you, you've been, you've been all over the world in baseball, Weedy and, you know, what are some of the things you that you had to deal with with players uh, that might be different uh, from different countries? And, and what are some of the things you learned from them? Well, I can tell you right, you know, real quick. I mean, I managed in Mexico the last two summers. But prior to that, way back, my first trip in 88 with the Union Laguna Algodoneros, you know, um, I think I learned early on when one of the players said to me, hey, uh, you know, skipper, he said, hey, uh, nuestro mundo, gringo, you know, and I'm like, okay. Yeah, it's, he was telling me it's our world, okay. And 
what he meant is by, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men, the way you do it in the States, it ain't the way we do it here, right? So I learned really early on that uh, you adapt, first of all, to the culture, to the country, to the, the people. And you don't coach the same way you do in the United States. You don't treat the players the same way. Um, you know, there's certain ways you approach them that are much more different than the way you approach, you know, an American player. Um, I get to, you know, Korea, South Korea, and, you know, it's, it's very similar in that, um, the work ethic and the way they go about it is much different than what we did in the States. And, you know, you can have all the greatest ideas in the world and you can't always, you know, implement them. I never forget back to the big leagues with Matt Williams, First year in 2014, we're playing uh, Detroit in spring training. And Gene Lamont is over there in some capacity, and we're behind a batting cage. And he said, you know, we didn't want to tell you something. You know, you and Matt got some great ideas how you want to run things, but you're not going to be able to do everything you want to do. Let me tell you that right now. (laughs) Truer words were never spoken because some people, you know, there's pushback. I mean, different countries, I found that, um, you know, Matt and our, our first year in Korea, we were, it was very stringent workout and, you know, the way they do things. I mean, the Koreans, you know, you work out in the morning, you take lunch, you work out in the afternoon, and then you take dinner and they got what they call night work. I mean, you've got night practice going on. These guys, uh, they can't ever get enough. And so the second year, cause our team kind of faded in September, Matt and I figured, well, let's back off a little bit, make it a little easier for them in spring training. Right. We had veteran players end up coming up to us and say, hey, we can't get ready to the season. We can't do it this way. It doesn't work for us. You're like, are you uh, kidding me? We're trying to give you a break, get you off your feet. No, 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 need more, need more. So, I mean, that's what you learn. I think you learn that, uh, especially in the foreign countries, it's a much different a much different way of operating. And, I mean, you just got to be able to adapt because, believe it or not, at the end of the day, you may leave some things that they pick up, but it's going to be their way of doing it. And you better like it or you're not going to stay there long. Well, I, th- I think that's what people see with you, Weedy, is your adaptability and, and how you listen to people and uh, your communication skills. Um, they play everywhere. That's that's why you became a major league coach. Um, you know, it's you know, it's funny. You, you have to have confidence in yourself. and you've got to be able to show it um, like unintentionally, you know, you know, we've all been around people that really know what they're talking about. Um, they don't have to sell you. Uh, you could just see it coming out of them. And I think that's what people see with you. Well, I mean, Hey, listen, you're right. You know, I never had a big league player tell me, Hey, you never played the big leagues. I mean, I'm just telling them, listen, I can't hold your jock as a player, but as an instructor, I might be able to give you something to make you better, you know? And then once they know that that's what you care about and, you know, that you'll hit them the extra ground balls and you work with them every day. I mean, you got them basically is what I found. I mean, I've got a letter. It's uh, framed in my office from Kevin Franzen after my first year with Washington. And it was from all the players and he signed it, uh, you know, from all the days you spent, you know, in the stands scouting us to blah, 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 to your first chance to be an actual major league coach. We just want to thank you for everything that you've done. And I mean, I tell you, that was pretty touching, man. It was handwritten. I mean, they didn't have to do that, you know, but <laughs> uh, I mean, really, you know, for the background that I had, not having a big league bubblegum card where I came from as a college coach, basically to get the chance to do what I did at the highest level in the game. I mean, pretty cool. <laughs> it was pretty you cool. You know, it, it's funny, you know, 
And, and it doesn't, you know, when you first get into the game, you think that the highest level players would probably be some of the better coaches. And, you know, as you're in the game, you realize that sometimes things come more easy to those guys and uh, they can't understand why other people can't do some things or don't think of the game the way they do because, you know, they're like savants, you know, they, you know, some of the reason they're so good is because uh, their intuition and the way they react to things is so natural to them. They don't understand why other people don't do it. You know, I, you know, I remember, uh, I read an article one time about like Bob Gibson and they, they were interviewing him. It was like during that one great year he had. And they said, you know, what's your thought process before you throw a pitch? He said, do you, and then they, they kind of answered it before they asked it. They said, do you like, you know, have a reason for why you throw it? Uh, do you know where you're going to throw it? Um, and then how do you pick the pitch you're going to, then you pick the pitch you're going to throw. And he said, yeah, doesn't everybody? <laughs> and I, and, I, and I, I learned a lot from that. I was a young guy when I read that and I go, man, that makes sense. You know, like in order to throw a, a pitch with intent, you have to have reasons why you're doing it. And I think today, I think a lot of that's lost because guys are never taught to think like that. They were, they're being told what to throw and the guy telling them what to throw, he doesn't have any more ability than you do to do it you should be making your own choices and, and have reasons for doing it. I think one of the biggest mark, you know, not to interrupt, but I think, you know, feel is a huge word that gets lost along the way and, and the way players are developed in this day and age, you know, there's gotta be a feel for, uh, for the player. I think instructors, number one, have to be able to demonstrate some of the activity. They gotta be able to show them, you know, these young people will learn visually here and you've got to be able to demonstrate and look like you're, uh, adept and adequate at what you're doing, right? Um, uh, to show them uh, what you're talking about and, you know, the feel for the game. I can remember talking about covering the Florida Instructor League back in the day, you know, I would go watch the Cardinals and George Kissel. I mean, everybody knows what a great teacher of the game George was, right? And I just watch him, you know, take Demetri Young on a side field, put him on his knees, hit him ground balls, add him left, right, you know, and I just would write things down like, wow, good drill, you know? And pick things up. I got his book right here on my desk, St. Louis Cardinals Team Defense Batting Practice Routines Infield Procedures by George Kissel. I mean, these are the guys. Bucky Dent that I talked with when I was with the Yankees that Bucky had learned so much from him. And Bucky passed it on to me. You know, Bucky Dent brings me into Major League Spring Training, the New York Yankees. I'm a minor league field coordinator in 1989. I'm in there to throw BP and help the infielders. And I mean, you know, talk, hey, Dave Winfield. Steve Sachs. I never forget. I mean, the first game that was ever played in Joe Robbie Stadium. They're going to make it into a baseball, you know, stadium, right? We're playing the Orioles, the first exhibition game ever. I got the first group in BP. I got Balboni. I got Sachs. I got Winfield. I got Mattingly. And the groundskeeper brings a, a a screen. It wasn't an L screen. It was like a half screen. It came up to about my navel. He said, what the hell is, he said, hey, buddy, it's a, it's, a, it's, a fucking, it's a fucking football field, right? And I'm like, oh, my God. So, you know, here I am. I'm throwing, and as soon as I let go of the ball, I'm ducking, and Sachs is screaming at me, two strikes, God damn it. What? I'm like, oh, here we go. So I'm standing straight up throwing the way I throw, and I got Balboni hitting and matting, and are you kidding me? Oh, and I'll never forget it after, this is great, too. Listen to this one. I think. 
Donnie went maybe three for five that night, hit a homer. And we're on the bus back to Fort Lauderdale where we were training. And he said, hey, Weed, you got to come with me tonight. You know, I said, what are you talking about? Yeah, I got something. We got something to do. So I'm thinking, oh, maybe we're going to go out, you know, have a few pops and I might, you know, get one of his followers, so to speak. You know, I might hook up. We get back to Fort Lauderdale. He has a groundskeeper turn the lights on. He wants me to throw in more batting practice. He said, hey, I really, I really didn't feel quite right tonight. Right? So now it's about four o'clock in the morning. Donnie says, all right, I'm going to go kiss the wife. I'll see you in a couple hours. Hell, I just laid down on a training table and stayed in the clubhouse all night, the rest of the night. You know, I mean, but what uh, I, I can honestly tell you, I was on a side field. Donnie was hitting. Uh, you know, this was a game, you know, how spring training, you play one, you take one off. So they say, take him back to the backfield, hit him some grounders, throw some BP. So I'm going to throw maybe 20, 30 minutes. That's, you know, Hey, that's enough. Right. And, and I put my stopwatch on the L screen just to make sure I don't kill myself. And Donnie says to me, Hey, you better take that off the uh, screen. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I'm going to rifle about four right back at you. I'm going to hit that thing. Oh, all right. And he did. And I swear to God, for that 20, 30 minute period, it seemed like 30. It was probably only 20. He never mishit a baseball. He either hit a line drive to the grass in the outfield or he hit the ball to the ballpark. Except for the three or four, he rifled right straight back off the L screen. Amazing. Just, you know, tremendous experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's that is crazy, man. I mean, you've scouted and coached some of the best players in the world. And, uh, you know, what are some of the similar traits you see in those guys? Well, work, I mean, everybody uses the word work ethic, but, you know, ethic is, comes from ethos, which means you got to do something correct. I think it's, uh, you know, a term uh, that means you're a little bit of a higher self kind of person, you know, ethic, ethical, right? And I think that holds true. I mean, the guys from Albert Bell that I saw, you know, with uh, the White Sox when I was there to – uh, you know, uh, the recent guys, some of the best ever uh, that I've worked with and been around, uh, Bryce Harper, uh, they all had the ethic, but they worked in, a right, in the right way. I mean, they were, they were practicing things that were going to make them better. And they had a routine that basically they stuck to for the whole season. And I, I found that in Korea, I found it pretty much in Mexico and you know, the, the best of the best all seem to do the same things pretty much every day to get ready for a game. I mean, they all had their way of getting prepared. And uh, I would see so many young players that I've dealt with through the years seem to really grasp to find that kind of routine. You know, well, I didn't do good today. Let me try this. You know, I never saw that with the really good ones, the great ones. They all had their steady way of doing it. As a steady way of preparation. And that's the other key word. I mean, you know, Scherzer, we had Maxi. Max, I mean, this guy did his own scouting reports in the big leagues. This guy was so prepared. It was incredible. You know, I mean, I did the advanced scouting in-house for the Washington while I was coaching there. And he was already, you know, hey, what do you got, Weed? Well, I got this. Well, you know what? You're right, Max. Just use yours. <laughs> right? They were so well prepared. I think that's been a key I've seen. You know, you you were an advanced scout, and and I mean for years, and one of the very best. And what were some of the important things you hoped um, they would take off of your report 
and, and, and things that you put on your report, you know, consistently you thought were important? Well, first of all, I developed, well, I really, I, Bob Schaefer, uh, I, I kind of took it from him, but Schaefer had an access program that I took and I, I basically added on to his program where I could do a one page report on a hitter or pitcher and have it break out into about 12 different categories in the report where that, you know, the pitching coach could pull what he wanted. The hitting guy could take what he wanted. Uh, you know, obviously there was a, a summer, you know, a summary page for the manager and so forth and so on. But um, I think that was kind of genius. The fact that I had a workbook that I used that I could uh, record the data I mean, my first year advancing for the White Sox, I had 20 all-nighters before the All-Star break. And I said, I got to get a better system or I'm going to die, right? So I came up with my system to record the data and to, to give it to the coaching staff in a manner that wouldn't overwhelm them that they really wanted for each individual area that they basically handled. Um, I also found it from the Jim Tracy's, the Kirk Gibson's, Joe Torrey guys would want to talk to me on the phone, you know? Uh, they'd read it or what they wanted to read, but they wanted to hear me talk about the team we were about to play. They wanted me to kind of paint a picture for, they wanted to get a, a visual from talking to me on the phone of what to expect of the next opponent. I, I thought that was huge. And the last thing, I'll never forget this. I'll, I'm going to kind of pat myself on the back a little bit. You know, we're going into playoffs 2011 with uh, 2011. Yeah, it was 2011 with the Diamondbacks. And, uh, you know, we have the big meeting. Okay, I'm the advanced guy. Now we're going to send out teams of two guys to cover every every possible opponent. So you got to have this huge meeting, and Kirk Gibson's in the room. He's telling the story about, you know, back in his Dodger days and, uh, you know, uh, Mel Didier's report about the 3-2 backside slider and all that, you know, which was true, by the way. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I have the I have this actual scouting report. Okay, so, so anyway, Jerry Krause – is scouting with us now. He's a pro scout, Jerry Krause. I mean, you know what? He ran five NBA title. This guy's brilliant yeah. strategist. God rest his soul. At the end of the meeting, we walk out, he corners me and he said, I got to tell you, I've been in a lot of high level meetings. That's the best one I've ever seen run. Now that's pretty good, right? Coming from a guy like Jerry Krause, right? But here's the thing that I took away from all that. It amazed me every year that I did the job by myself for a hundred and however many games. And now we get to the postseason and we're sending out two guys to cover each team. I'm like, what are we doing? I would make it easy for them. There's no way they could do it. Most pro scouts, much less amateur guys had no clue how to do advanced scouting. It's a totally different way of looking at the game, right? It's not about player acquisition or, or, you know, evaluating where they would fit for your club. This is about how to get Barry Bonds out, right? It's a totally different way of looking at the game. So I would say, okay, here, you handle pitching and defense. The other guy do the, uh, the hitting and offense so that at least a half inning of every game, they could write their notes and not have to watch the action, right? Um, I actually, I've written, you know, a couple uh, thesis kind of things. I've written, you know, my idea of advanced scouting and I wrote, you know, my philosophies and everything down the line. But I guess the thing that I'm trying to get at is what amazed me is it seemed like they wanted more information instead of what I thought was important was less. I mean, I've been doing it all year on these teams. We know these guys. Let's give them one little tidbit, you know, like Gomez from Minnesota around second base. Can we throw behind him and get him out? Um, you know, what about uh, Molina catcher? 
with the cutters in to left-handed hitters, you know, back pick to pool holes at first, that kind of stuff. The little things that the manager can use that uh, might help him win a ball game. You know, I, I, I thought we went about it exactly the, the wrong way. I thought instead of more, it should have been less. Does that make any sense to you guys or, or not? You know, it, it makes weedy, total I'll, sense. Weedy, I'll, I'll say for somebody that's been with the Rockies for 25 years now, and you were in the in our division for a long time with the Dodgers and D-backs, um, for a non-pitcher, you attacked hitters' weaknesses, understood their weaknesses. When I would watch us play against teams – and I would go, shit, Weedy did a good freaking job with them. <laughs> you know, you, you know, you really, really had a really good feel for for attacking guys when they were hot and cold and who to pitch around. You you, you I, I could you could see the preparation and the knowledge that you imparted on our on your people to get our people out. Well, I appreciate um, that. You know, I, and I can honestly tell you, you know, when I first started really with Terry Bevington and, and the White Sox. Um, I mean, those reports from <laughs> 94, 95 <laughs> compared to what I finished, you know, at the end of my advanced scouting career was kind of like the difference between nursery school and being a, uh, a college graduate. I, mean, you know, I, I look back and I kind of felt sorry for the information I was giving those guys when I first started. So I, I, what I'm saying is the only way you can get good at that job is you have to do a lot of it. You have to see a lot. You have to be able to, to, to work and really understand what needs to be given to the coaches or the players to help them win. And also, I think being on the field in every spring training camp as a working coach, um, you know, I, I got to understand li- really what the coaches were looking for and what they needed. You know, and I'd have a meeting every year. Uh, the more I did it, the older I got um, with the coaching staff. And I'd said, you guys tell me what you want. And then I'd have a meeting with the players, with the pitchers and the catchers yeah. and then the hitters. And I'd say, you guys tell me what you want. And I kind of approached it in that way because, honestly, if you're doing a lot of that kind of scouting and nobody's using it, not only is it a hell of a waste of time, it's extremely exhausting. Yeah. I mean, you just can't do it. So you no. need to give them what they really want. Um, and uh, – you know, it, it, the only way you can do it, and I found it to be true in every job I had in baseball, the only way you get good at any of them is experience, which is one of the things that kind of amazes me now with the people that not only run the game, but some of the people they hire. I mean, how do no, they this, know? This is, the, this is the thing I, I, I see. You know, with all the record keeping that's done now, yeah. um, it makes even more sense to have somebody out there with their eyes looking at more meaningful stuff. Right. Because you don't need to dig through and find out when they run and what counts they'd like to run on. It's 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 in the computer. It's already there. Oh, They've all been charted. You know, you don't have to do any of that. Now you can focus on that guy that likes to steal bags and he opens his his yeah. foot his, his right foot uh that when he's gonna run. You know, um, you know, guys that do certain things, you can look at it at pitchers' deliveries and you can might pick up something on a certain pitch. Because you don't have to worry about all that other crap. Well, you know? you're exactly right. I mean, that's I agree with that to to a degree, Mark. I think that's right. I think uh, you know you have some younger coaches, even on big league staffs, that probably want more information than that. You know that, that, that you kind of got to get them in tune to this too. It's a different way of watching the game. And honestly, I mean, I loved 
doing advanced scouting. I loved it. And there's not many guys that enjoyed that job, man. I mean, with the travel and the reports, you know, honestly, if I saw a four-game set, usually that's all you could do. You'd be lucky. I'd have to get the other guy maybe on video. But if I'm in there for four nights to watch a, a ball club, I mean, I'm 12 to 15 hours on the computer. I mean, that's four or five hours a day. That doesn't include the travel time and the plane, the airports, the hotels, uh, you know, or the recording I do with my workbook at the game. This is just inputting the data. You know, most guys, right, wrong, or different, aren't built to do that. I loved it <laughs> because I felt like an extension of the coaching staff, which every manager I worked for made me feel like that. They did. They made me feel like I was as important as a third base coach. It was really cool. I read an article one time, and I don't know if he would agree with it now, but he said it at one time. I think LaRusso, when he was managing, said, hey, the most important guy to me besides the pitching coach is our advanced scout. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Because of the information, you know, that, that, that that's given. Anyway, you know, enough of that. But, yeah, I just and, – and it's amazing to me that I had guys, you know, veteran scouts tell me, hey, we that job will never be eliminated. And, by God, I think it's been one of the first, which is incredible to yeah, me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, you know, but, hey, listen, uh, you know, I'm going to work with kids in Bismarck, North Dakota. I love teaching the game. You know, I'm not fighting City Hall. I mean, there's a lot of bitter guys that I talk to, a lot of guys that – I. I hear from quite a bit, you know, scouts, player development guys that have kind of been forced out that can't get work. And you know what? It is what it is, boys. I mean, you know, Joe Madden said you got to remain what? Uh, what do you say? You got to remember. You got to remain uh, something to remain employable. You got to remain current, relevant, basically. Is relevant. Yeah, relevant. Yeah, yeah. You got to remain uh, whatever. But I mean. Hey, I just want to work, you know, and, and if I get a chance to do this with these kids, it'll be a blessing, man. I mean, every job I've had has been a good job, you know, and uh, would it be great to be in big league baseball? I guess, but I'm not doing it anymore. Who, You know, so I don't worry about it. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's, uh, you know, when you have a lifetime thirst for knowledge and, and how to pass it on once you get credible knowledge, um you know, I mean, that's something that drives you your whole life. It doesn't matter whether it's baseball or whatever it is. Um, you know, some people, uh, they they want to feel sorry for themselves. This is what we fight with players. As a coach, I always fought. I, you know, there's no pity party. There's no excuse making. Well, don't start doing it once you're, you know, out of the game. You know, find something else that will interest you or something you can pass on to other people. In a, you know, it doesn't have to, you know, your experiences in baseball can be passed on to forget any walk of life. Um, yeah. They, you know, my, my son has an entertainment company. My wife, my daughter has a marketing company. And, uh, you know, we talk all the time and, you know, often uh, a lot of the stuff that I learn relates to their businesses, you know, dealing with employees, uh, all kinds of stuff is, is very similar. Um, you know, well, let me let me let me add one thing. Okay. You're exactly right. But the first time I got fired, and I've been fired more than once. I mean, uh, I got whacked by uh George Steinbrenner and the New York Yankees when uh you know, they did away with Bucky Dent and George Bradley and his group, and I mean, you know, I was part of that and whatever the reasons, you know, I was out. So that one really stung. I mean, after the first time when it happens, I've been fired a couple of times in Mexico. I mean, it's not quite as bad. You know, the first one really, really stinks, you know, because you're giving your heart and soul and all of a sudden you're out 
And I'll never forget Doug Rader called me. I'd become pretty close to Doug with the angels. And he said, hey, man, he said, nobody said it was going to be fair. He said, nobody owes you anything in this game. You know, I said, just pull your bootstraps back. You know, hey, man, get back out there, get the word out. And I'll tell you what, I ended up because I'd managed in Mexico in 1988. I ended up going to the Poste Academy as a director of player development. I had 48 players, two traveling teams, 12 umpires. I was a field coordinator. I had Juan Castro, Ismael Valdez, Antonio Osuna all played in the big leagues. I got to see the Cubans. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life, especially living at the Hotel California right next to the uh, Corona Beer Factory. That was great. Uh, it was never out of, I mean, hey, there was always beer available. It was wonderful. Well, you know, it was a learning experience to be able to, and, and once again, you know, uh, being in that culture for half the year before, uh, you know, Mickey White and the Cleveland Indians came calling to, to scout. I mean, you know, talk about learning, you know, and working with young guys. I mean, Juan Castro, 16-year big leaguer. I mean, I managed against him last summer in the Mexican League. This guy was 16 years old when I was working with him. And I got to mold and help some of these kids. You know, I mean, these things are, nobody ever writes about it, but that's some of the best stuff I ever did. <laughs> right? You, yep. you, you, you had some involvement. Did you have some involvement with the Kansas City Baseball Academy? Well, not exactly the academy, but right after it. Yeah, and, and there was some uh, there was some spinoffs, like um, – the one winter we had what was called the Royals Accelerated Program. That's when, once again, this was through Howie Bedell. Dick Balderson was our farm director. Great guy. Love him. Um, they decided we're going to bring in Dick Hauser and some of the major league staff, and we're going to bring some of our top prospects along with some of the big leaguers in for some like early, and it wasn't just all workouts. It was like morning workouts and in the afternoon. They had, you know, some vision testing. They did a lot of psychological stuff. It was kind of, a, a spinoff from the Academy and it was a little bit ahead of its time. And, you know, I think we played maybe Manatee community college, you know, and some games and it, it was a, it was a chance for these guys to get a jump start. And I think it's done a lot now, you know, with early camp, they call it, but sure enough, the players association stopped it. They said, well, you know, it's in our agreement. The players don't have to be to spring training until such and such date. And when that meant the, 15 to 20 big leaguers we had in camp left, the Royals kind of felt like there wasn't much value in it, I guess. And, and they didn't continue it. But yeah, I was around a lot of that early stuff. You know, I saw with Sid Thrift and, you know, the, the scouts and the way they ran tryout camps. And I think the biggest thing they came away with is they went and got players uh, that had no baseball background. They just were great athletes. And it was a hell of an idea. And I think Willie Wilson, there were some guys that came out of it that played in the big leagues, maybe Frank White. But bottom line, I think they found out when these guys got to the Florida State League in A-ball, they couldn't hit. because Just because you're a great athlete, it's hard to hit, right? So, yeah, we, we saw Michael Jordan, right? Yeah, I mean, so I think the bat skill is what kind of crushed that idea is, you know, guys just – I mean, I saw Ken Griffey in the – you know, I was <laughs> – how about this story? 1984, I'm with the Eugene Emeralds. We're 19 and 55. We had the worst record in organized baseball, right? Ken Griffey Jr. is in Bellingham. I'm watching him play. They're saying, how do you think he learned to hit? I said, he didn't. He was born. He got a feel. And God, you put a bat in his hand and he could hit, right? Um, having said that, I mean, we had three kids coming out of that team. I think Delirio De Los Santos, Cheeto Martinez, Kevin Kozlowski. Three guys played in the big leagues off a 19 and 55 team of the Eugene Emeralds, which had 
by the way, Eugene had been a triple A ballpark, I think for the Phillies for years. We had people coming to games with bags over their heads watching these kids play. I'd go out to dinner, you know, I'd go out to to lunch at uh, some local restaurant. Hey, uh, you coach for the Emeralds, don't you? I said, no, wrong guy, buddy. I said, I'm a fuller brush salesman. I'm just passing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, oh, yeah, it was what a year. You know, Dave Roberts, who was a hell of a player, was our manager. And I can remember Bill Fisher and Joe Jones, the Rovers, saying, hey, listen, you know, this guy's a big hunter. Weed. He likes his guns. Keep him away from him. Here. You guys aren't very good. <laughs> oh, jeez. Huh? Fabulous. Yeah, we're getting a good picture of your experiences <laughs> all over the freaking world at all, every level imaginable. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, did – you know, we, let's go all the way back to when you were a player in college. Yeah. You know, like, what was your uh, ambition at that time when you first went to school there? Well, to keep playing and sign, you know, and I, I, I didn't get a chance. I tell you, I ended up, this is a great story, too. Uh, Wayne Britton, who you probably remember, scouted the Red Sox, right? Wayne says, hey, man, I want you to go down here and play for this team in South Carolina. He said, if we have an opening, I'm going to sign you. And it would have happened, except by the time I got on the bus to go, they'd already called somebody else up and the deal was over. But I played with the Hilton Head Blue Jays in Hilton Head, South Carolina. I was the only white player in the league. Okay. I played with Dan Dreesen's older brother, Bill. I played with Gerald Perry, who played and coached in the big leagues. I made the all-star team. The guy that uh, threw out the first pitch of the all-star, Leon Spinks. You remember that name? Yeah. yeah, yeah. This was the greatest job I ever had. I'm I'm lifeguarding on the beach. I'm playing doubleheader Saturday and Sunday for 50 bucks a game and 100, maybe more, if I got three or four hits and drove in some runs. You know, after the game, I'd head to the club with all the, the, you know, the Afro-American folk dance with the gals, drink beer, boiled peanuts, chicken, time of my life, right? Um, but then I figured, hey, listen, I, I got I to gotta do something. I mean, I can't keep doing it. Well, you know, I'd love to, but that's when I ended up figuring out I needed to go to grad school, and I got into grad school to high state and sports management and started coaching, you know. Um, that was a great experience too because they put you in internships and I served a little bit in the front office with the Columbus Clippers Ken Schnocky back in the day and these guys and um George Sisler I think he's a famous name is is yeah played and you know I'm I'm watching this guys and I'm I'm doing this stuff I'm like I don't really like this too much you know I want to be on the field (laughs) so that's when I really pursued coaching at a high state you know and I gotta tell you man you know, what I'm doing now, this game, college baseball, in the last 10, 15 years, the landscape has changed enormously. I can remember 1980, I'm at Montreat Anderson. John Whitehead, the head coach at Tennessee, gets my name. He's looking for an assistant. I get interviewed along with two other guys, Ronnie Osborne being one of them, who was an assistant for Ron Polk at Mississippi State. Ronnie ended up getting a job. Here's what I'm telling you. I think John Whitehead might have been making $65,000, $70,000 as the head baseball coach at Tennessee. He said, son, I'm going to give you twenty-five, thirty, which was about double what I was making at Montreal Anderson, the junior college, right? I said, great. You got any idea how much the head coach makes at the University of Tennessee right now? Why don't you try on $1.7 million? Oh, I know. 
I mean, I think there's seven guys in the SEC that make more money than two or three major league managers. Right. It's unbelievable. Yeah, well, you know, and the, the, the thing with it, those those are such high-paying jobs, you know, you'd hope that it wouldn't affect the way they coach players because, you know, you got to perform so quickly there. The coach doesn't want to lose his job. You know, I, you know, I had a, a major college coach. I asked him, why do you call all the pitches? He said, because I don't want to, I don't trust my career to a 19 year old, mm. you know? And to me, when I hear that, you know, I said, I said, isn't, isn't college for higher education where you teach them to call their own game, where you teach them to do stuff. These guys, there's too many of them that they want to protect their job. And, and if I'm a parent, I got some really stiff questions to ask these guys when they recruit my kid. Yeah. Well, you know, Kernan, Kevin Kernan did a nice piece on me and, you know, about this deal in Bismarck. And I told him, I said, Hey, listen, I've watched some of these games and, you know, you got pictures with a wrist basket, you know, kind of a wristwatch looking at something from the dugout that they're telling them what to throw. I said, my catchers are going to call the game. They're going to learn to read swings and work a pitching staff. I mean, some of this other stuff to me is absolutely absurd. Sure. You know, um, I mean, they talk about maybe that speeds up the game in college baseball. I don't know, but I mean, how can a guy pitch? He's not even convicted to throw. It what actually, to it slows the game down. No, I mean, yeah. So, listen, and this, what is it? Name, likeness, name, image, likeness. The oh, yeah. You know, I'm I'm recruiting these kids. You know, and and they're paying me year round to do that, along with being the director of baseball operations, basically, and the field manager. I call these guys, Greg Ritchie's at uh, George Washington. That was Clint Hurdle's hitting coach in the big leagues for years with Pittsburgh. He's talking about, hey, man, you know, I lose two guys that go play summer baseball. I lose two more in the draft. You know, last year, one of my pitchers threw great against uh, Virginia Tech. The next thing I know, he's at Virginia Tech, you know. I, the, uh, Billy Godwin, our buddy, oh, Yankee yeah, scout. Billy. Yeah, Billy's a great guy. Yeah, UNC Greensboro. He yeah. just went back to scout, and he told me weed. Said the major, it's like being a junior college. These guys, it's unbelievable. Now, let me tell you this one. I got two guys coming. John Yurkow is a great young coach at the uh, University of Pennsylvania. Great young coach. Yeah, Yurkow is a Gloucester Catholic kid. That's right. So I got a couple of his guys coming, two tough Jersey kids. You might know the name. One of them's Jared Pokrowski. The other guy's Ryan Taylor. They're both sophomores. They both played good as freshmen. They have already signed because I guess these guys, they all get a fifth year of eligibility because of COVID. Yeah. They have already committed. If they don't sign professionally, get drafted and sign professionally, one of them's going to Texas A&M. The other guy's going to Alabama. Right. And they're fifth year. Are yeah. you kidding me? Huh? Oh, my Amazing. It's, it's a little different ball game yeah, out there, boys. It, it, there's, huh? you know, these people, they don't, you know, I, I'm not a big NCAA fan. Um, I think they have rules that can't be enforced uh, unless they, they want to. Um, but I, I also see the, uh, the stuff wasn't thought through. They're scared of the courts. Um, you know, you got to put limitations on this stuff, man. You, you can't recruit a guy and have him there and have him leave the next year and stuff. It, it just isn't right. No. I got a question for all three guys. With the reduction of the minor league system, that onus of development is now on the college game. I mean, how it's, not uh, happening. it's more important than ever now, right? I would think that the college game get into development as opposed to, I know they got to win, they got to keep their salaries, but how do you guys see that? Well, I see it as player development once they get into pro ball, because I, like I said earlier, you know, if they're more worried about keeping their job and winning games 
uh, without and not making the guy better, uh, where's the development there in college? And when you're shifting colleges, where's the development? You're hearing a different voice every time. So I think organizational development is the most important now once you get them into Pro Bowl. I still think there's some good college teachers. I mean, I know, you know, as an area scout, a lot of parents would say, hey, and this goes back, obviously, before, you know, all the stuff that goes on now. But, you know, what, what do you think? You know, where, where's a good school for my son? And I would say, send him where the good coaches are, man. You know, there's always – there's there are good – there has been oh, some yeah. really good ones. Yeah, there's and, – and I think there still is. I think there's still a way to do it. That's – but, you know, honestly, one of my ambitions this summer up there in the Northwoods League is uh, I'm going to treat it like short – we play 70 games, man. It's short season A ball for me. They say they want to be pros. They're going to find out how bad they want to be pros because we're going to have early work, extra work. We're going to, you know, we're going to win. I'm going to, I'm going to try to win and they're going to get developed because I'm going to work my butt off with them, you know, and hopefully that'll be refreshing to some of these young guys. Um, but I think you're right to a certain degree, Mark. Um, uh, I do think that the colleges do play a bigger role now. I mean, you know, I think it's an absolute disgrace that there's less minor league teams. I think that's an absolute disgrace. There's only 20 rounds in the draft. I mean, I can remember as an area guy, we had a January draft. You get junior colleges back in, 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 you know, in the fall, and you could follow guys up until a dead period before the June draft. You know, I mean, hey, I signed John Nunley out of Miami-Dade South. I signed Herbert Perry out of Florida. Paul Sorrento back in the day out of Florida State. Uh you know, it, it was wide open, man. I mean, you know, it was like Dodge city. You could actually go out and find players back then, you know, and there was, oh, yeah. places, there was places for them to play. I guess my question is to both you guys, all three of you is this, see, okay. So what is it? 5% of every kid that signs end up getting to the big leagues. Only, you know, what three guys, any minor league team. I mean, there's all kinds of statistics. What about all the guys that play with the guys that make it? that end up going back to be your minor league coaches, managers, your college no coaches, your high school coaches. That the, was my argument from the beginning, Weedy. You know, yeah. we're the, 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 the older college kid that mentored the high school kid that got him over the hump. Yeah. Become Nolan Arenado. Yeah, you know, uh, it, 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 just so many cases like that. And then they end up getting into scouting and coaching and player development. And, you know, it's just, such a short-sighted thing. Where do the teachers? Where do they teachers come from? I mean, yeah, yeah. Who coaches the coaches nowadays. Yeah, right? you know, you know, you know. Major League Baseball is a is a growth business. They're trying to grow around the world, but they're shrinking the entry level. Yeah, amazing. you know what growth business? You know, shrinks the entry level. You grow the entry level if you want. Well, to. I mean, it's been pretty pretty well proven in all you know walks of business. I mean, you know. Research and development are two of the most important things in your industry, right? Yeah, and you yeah. cut them back. I mean, I, hey, listen, like I said, I'm not fighting City Hall, no, but I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. You know, you know, as Dave always says, and the name of our show is Common Sense. Yeah. Common Sense is not, not not so common as Dave always reminds us. <laughs> right. You know, we 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 all live in a common sense world where, you know. Uh, you know, player development was done with patience and yeah. and building that relationship and giving guys the opportunity to get enough at bats to have a feel for the game and have a feel for how to pitch. Now we rush guys; they they have no feel. Somebody does all the thinking for them, 
you see things on a major league baseball field that you're absolutely shocked because they've never actually thought and had any idea how to react to a situation. Mm-hmm. So, well, I said it in, in the article by Kernan. I mean, you know, I always maintained that, you know, one of the worst terms we had on scouting reports and you heard it all the time was instinct. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, my Labrador retrievers have instinct to bring, you know, to bring me something to retrieve a duck, to bring my, my wife's shoe, whatever. I mean, you don't have instinct to run the bases. You got to be taught. Now, some people have better powers of observation, more aptitude. They're quicker learners. But the ones that are good at it have either practiced it a lot or they've done it in a game, right? Yeah, so, right. I mean, these are teachable things. Yeah. You just don't fall out of bed knowing how to run the bases. It's just a – so, I mean, I always thought baseball instinct, yeah, I get it. I know what it means. But I always thought it was a bad term, you know. Right. Yeah. Anyway. It's a great yeah, point. It's, uh, and I will – I'll finish up by, I agree with you. There are good teachers out there. Not every college is like that. Um, Not every summer league's like that. I mean, if they have a chance to play for you in the Woodbat League or Jerry Weinstein in the Cape Cod League, you got people that know what they're doing. And, you know, I would push my kid to play for, find out who the best coaches are, regardless of where they're at, whatever, regardless of what league, because they'll learn a lot more than, what they think they're playing at a, at a, at a higher caliber, um, they're going to learn less or not get as many opportunities. So you got to play to learn how to play. And and uh, being on a really good team and not playing, that doesn't do much for you. Right. I agree. I love it. Well, thanks for being on, man. This was an awesome. Well, we got to have you on again because I know you. <laughs> we only scratched the surface of your stories. Yeah, I mean, I could – and, you know, my wife is uh, – a published author and she's runs a literary agency now trying to help military veterans get their books published. And she keeps telling me, when are you going to write the book? And I mean, I got to do it eventually. I just been so busy, but that's no real excuse. I just, there's just so it's just, you're right. I mean, it's unbelievable. Some of the things that I've seen in the game and the places I've been. And I mean, it's not always, it's not all about, you know, development or, great players it's some of it's really humorous some of it's just absolutely unbelievable i mean you know I, it's, you can't make it up i just sent uh dave bristol's a buddy of mine lives up in the mountains here you know 90 years old yeah. sharp as attack was asking me about mexico i just sent him a picture you know we're playing matamoros in an exhibition game which is in tamalipas it's not a real good spot a lot of cartel activity and i sent him a picture of, of, of four or five what they call marines in mexico that's their elite police force basically with their guns and their grenades and they're all around me. And I said, <laughs> laughingly, those are my coaches. Well, not really, but they were there. So nobody kidnapped my ass. Right. How we doing? <laughs> wow. It's beautiful. Huh? It's beautiful. <laughs> uh, well, we definitely appreciate we took over well over an hour of your time. This could have very easily been a long form three hour <laughs> podcast. And that uh, would definitely got to get your word. You'll come back though. On that sure. meeting. We'd love I to have you back. I appreciate it, David. I appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Yeah, and, and hang on with us as we close out here with uh, with our show. But Mark and Will, great job as usual. Uh, your guys' show, not just resident content, but you can always see that link between the relationships that you guys have developed over time. And, and your particular audience members never miss that. And that's what, that's what baseball is about, too, is those relationships you develop over time. And hopefully that doesn't get lost in today's segmented world of baseball. And Weedy, I got, I got advice I'm going to give you on writing. I know your wife's a 
an author in, in publishing now, but I'm starting to write as well. And I was told, write two crappy pages a day. And that took the pressure off us. I could write two crappy pages a day. Any five-year-old could do that. So <laughs> I'll give you, give you that advice. If you have time, two crappy pages a day. By the end of the year, you'll have 700, at the least 700 crappy pages. Got to be 100 good ones out of there to do it with. But That's at least good. you get your stories out. That's but uh, to our audience, remember, I mentioned our sponsors in the beginning, Millions, Jaw Bats, The Kinetic Arm, One on One, and Monet. Make sure we support them. 70,000 subscribers. Thank you for your daily support with all of our shows, 14 on the network. This is show number three. We got one more show for the day on Quadruple Header Thursday. But Mark and Will, thanks so much for what you do. And Weedy, thanks for coming on. We appreciate what you do as well. Thanks, Thank you, great. great. Great job, thanks, guys. Thanks, Enjoyed Weedy. It. Appreciated it. Yep. And hang on with us for a minute here if I can ever get my music queued up. You want me to sing? Go ahead. <laughs> Bill Withers, lean on me. Which what are you looking for? I'm like I'm liking <laughs> use me right here. If you can pull use me out of you, you'll be uh you'll get hired as a double singer here. But, no. uh, but uh, we'll we'll close out with a lot without music today. We don't need it. We had enough uh, good audio for it. But thanks again, guys. We appreciate everything you do. To our audience, stay tuned for episode, our fourth episode of the day. It's Man on Second with Joe Frazero. Have a good day, guys.